0: Love Talk Radio. Good afternoon and thank you so much for tuning in to Far Rock Live. I am your host, Shirley, and tonight we have an exciting speaker, Mister Neely Fuller Junior, who is on the telephone right now. Mr. Fuller?
1: Yes, I'm here.
0: Hi, how are you?
1: I'm still learning. (laughs)
0: Aren't we all? (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for calling in. How are things in the D.C. area tonight? Hello? Hello? Yes, how are things in the D.C. area tonight for you?
1: Well, they're quiet right now. The weather is overcast, and it's kind of raining, November weather, but very, very mild for November.
2: The same here.
0: And I was in the process of doing an introduction and just giving the audience a little background information about you. Phil, do you want to go ahead and chime in and and tell us a little bit about yourself? And um, most importantly, we're going to talk about your book tonight, The United Independent uh, Compensatory Code System, and the concept around that.
1: Yes. It's a long title, uh, and there's a subtitle, which is also long. Uh, the basic title is The United Independent Compensatory Code System Concept. And the subtitle is A Textbook Workbook for Thought, Speech, and our Action for Victims of Racism. And uh, I first started writing the book back in 1957. I started the first six pages, which I kept. It was only six pages for, I'll say, three or four years, Mm -hmm. and then little by little, as things began to evolve, I started adding to it, and I didn't have a title for it. It was just sort of like a personal guide to uh, get me through whatever I was doing personally or wherever I happened to be in the way of problem solving on a daily basis, and I decided over a period of time when I kept adding to it. Uh, To make it into a book and kind of structure it, I put it under nine areas of activity, economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. And I thought that would just about cover just about anything that anybody was engaging in anywhere on the planet at any given time. And it has to do with problem solving as associated with the system, which I call, I coined the term, the system of white supremacy. And I found out that's another thing that I had to do was coin words or coin definitions to existing words uh, based on, and that's where the compensatory factor comes in, in into the title. Compensatory meaning compensation, meaning making up for what's missing. Mm -hmm. And what is missing is a lot of words do not have meanings that make sense. And I noticed early on that racial integration, racial integration, racial segregation, interracial, multiracial, none of these terms made sense. And many of the categories that are now in vogue, do not make sense. They're not racial categories. They don't have anything to do with race as such directly, even though everything in aggregate has to do with race as such. Uh, Meaning, in the beginning, there were... uh, One record has, at least, going back a couple of hundred years, uh, three categories, three racial categories... Uh, white, black, and mulatto. Those were the standard. And now uh, there are a great number of categories, a very great number, and far from the categories, the three categories that they started out with, or at least whoever started this particular grouping of categories, and uh, there are many, many now. And then, like I said, you have the category of interracial, multiracial. I came to the conclusion that it's just one race. And many people have said, have said for years that that one race is the human race. And I said that didn't make sense either. Because race is racism. So anyone who is a member of a race is a racist. That's just what what it actually means. Race or racism has nothing to do with anything except mistreating people. That's all it's good for. Being a member of a race is not like being a member of a family. You can just say family and be done with that, or nation and be done with that. But when you say race, you're talking about racism, the whole concept of racism.
0: A specific group of people
1: a specific group of people that practices racism, or one person.
0: And it's a divisive term as well.
1: Yes. It serves absolutely no other purpose. It means mistreatment on the basis of color. That's the only logical definition that you can possibly have for the term race as applied to people.
0: But um, let me back up a little bit to what you were saying about the words uh, and the different phrases that seem to be acceptable today. Do you think that people use and say these acceptable terms and they really don't know what, they're, what they mean?
1: Absolutely, because the the uh, whole concept was race. of race was sought up by people who believed in racism. So therefore, all of the terms and all of the definitions are designed to serve what is already in place. And that is racism, which in this day and time, and for the as far back as recorded history, uh, mostly applied to the system of white supremacy. That is the application for it. So in my presentation, I use the term racism and white supremacy synonymous. There's only one race, and that's the white race. There, because the people, that doesn't say that all white people, certainly it doesn't say that all white people are racist, but those who are, are. And, and those majority. who are, are powerful, more powerful, and smarter than those who aren't. That's why you have white supremacy. See, and this is, majority. I use the term all the time called follow the logic. <laughs> and if you follow the logic, There would be no racism if the people who didn't believe in racism were smarter and more powerful than those who did.
0: But unfortunately, the majority of the people are racist. No, I don't know. I can't
1: say that because then that gets into inaccuracies. I mean, accuracies or inaccuracies based on numbers. Mm -hmm. See, I have no way of knowing the number of racists on the planet. But I do know that those who are, whatever the numbers, are smarter and more powerful than those who aren't. Mm -hmm. They will the power. It's not so much the numbers. It's the amount of power that they will. And that's based on how smart they are at doing what they do. And it just so happens that the white people who believe in racism are smarter than those who don't. The white people who say that they don't believe in racism have no muscle. They have no power. Almost zero. The racists overrule them. The white people who believe in racism overrule the white people who don't believe in racism or who say that they don't. And so now, that addresses what is the book about. The book is not just about analyzing what racism is about, but it also directs to the victims of it what to do about it in each area of activity each and every day. Thought, speech, and action. People think, speak, and act, and or act all day, every day, everywhere in the known universe. So it's a matter of tailoring all thought, all speech, and all action in such a way that you counter the effects of racism with the ultimate objective of producing universal man and universal woman who will have the characteristics of people who practice justice. That's the, that's the absolute goal. That should be. It's never been done. Mm-hmm. Justice does not exist anywhere on the planet. That is a goal that is yet to be achieved.
0: What do you think is an achievable goal, though? Hello? At some point?
1: Oh, sure. Uh, any, any People have produced non-justice, meaning non-balance between people, meaning people being mistreated and people who need help the most not getting it, that that means you're having a non-just system. Anytime you have a system that's set up, any kind of system, where people are being deliberately mistreated and hardly nothing being done about it, and the people who need help the most not getting it. The definition, the compensatory definition, the makeup definition for the word justice, since there is no legal definition for the word justice, I only found that out in 1994. There is no legal definition for the word justice. So I uh, made up a compensatory definition. And that is, number one, it's a two-part definition. Number one, guaranteeing that no person is mistreated. Number two, guaranteeing that the person that needs help the most gets the most constructive help. Now, that doesn't exist anywhere on the planet. A situation where people are not being mistreated and the person who needs help the most gets it. Rather, it's just the opposite. Under the system of racism, everything is designed to see to it that people are mistreated, deliberately, all out. You you gear everything to see to it, to guarantee that people are going to get mistreated. That's what racism is about. Mistreatment. Dedicated mistreatment. Not happenstance mistreatment. Dedicated mistreatment. And the other part dedicated to seeing to it that people who need help the most, the weak people, the most ignorant people, the most primitive people, do not get constructive help. You guarantee that. And you have a summation of what race and racism is all about, what being a member of a race is all about. That is it. There is nothing else in it except that. Except in the process of doing that, you have to be smart, which means you have to be able to manage things along with people. And so you do get the byproduct, a major byproduct, it is proven to be, of scientific achievement. The people who believe in racism are the most scientific most uh, uh, people, the greatest inventors of new things, new ways of getting things done than any other system that's been devised in recorded history. But the trade-off is you can produce a lot of material things and you can get a lot of things done in a short period of time in a very efficient manner. But the trade-off is you destroy millions of people in the process, and you do it deliberately. And that's why that system is, by its nature, should be replaced with a better system. Conceivably, that system would be the system of justice, guaranteeing that no person is mistreated and guaranteeing that the person that needs help the most gets the most help.
0: And so you also outline nine specific areas that um, people are being oppressed in. You have uh, economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, et cetera. Yes. Do you want to elaborate a little more on each one of those areas?
1: Oh, well, everybody on the planet... Each and every minute of each and every day is engaged in one or more of these areas of activity. What you do in what we call economics, and economics is not just a matter of moving money around. Money is just a tool for getting things done, Uh, like a pair of pliers or, or a hat or a wheel. These are all mediums for getting things done. Money is no different. Basic economics is the use of time and energy. So how you use your time and how you use your energy is basic economics. And the racists have seen to it that their victims use their time and energy when they are allowed to do things on their own in a manner that is non-productive. And the victims, particularly black people in the Northwestern Hemisphere, devote most of their time and energy when they're allowed to have some on some time and energy on their own that they can expend in doing things that are primitive, pitiful, stupid, and are silly, and relishing in it worshiping that type of behavior trained to do so and that and this is in every area of activity have a disdain for education the second area of activity very careless in economics very careless about the use of time and energy because all of the nine areas are interactive what you do in economics affects what you do in labor. What you do in labor affects what you do in politics. What you do in politics affects what you do in sex or religion or entertainment. They're all interactive. These are not you know, separate in the strictest sense. They're the sort of guidelines, these nine areas, because they all overlap or they all infuse with one another. Mm -hmm. And And so the races have looked at the non-white peoples of the planet sometime in the past and they say, we want to control everything that they do in all of these nine areas of activity each and every day, wherever they happen to be on the planet. And we will call this system, the system of racism. And we will dominate them to our convenience. For what ultimate purpose? For the ultimate purpose of the system itself. Because they have nothing to fear after having completed that system have it put it in place all they have to do is just keep everything in place so that the machinery will keep running now the system of racism goes through four stages establishment maintenance expansion and refinement these are described in the book establishment means getting it started it started someplace, somewhere when, where, I don't know it's highly argumentative Some people say 600 years. Some people say 2,000 years. Some people say as far back as 6,000 years that someone got the idea of doing all of the world's business on the basis of color. It, It turned out to be the most powerful political and religious idea ever thought up by anybody. Nothing has proven to be anywhere close to being powerful not so-called democracy not so-called americanism africanism asianism conservatism liberalism
0: and
1: communism
0: and slavery was just socialism byproduct
1: of that. I'll say that again
0: slavery was just a byproduct of um, them getting it established
1: well that's just a word actually the system of racism is a form of slavery. Uh, someone was asked on television not too long ago uh, in, in uh, a street scene, a uh, was put in front of a person's faces, and the person was asked, when did slavery end? And the person answered quite accurately, said it didn't. See, that's something that the racists dreamed of as a strategy. So you put ideas in people's heads and these ideas take root and they carry them and they repeat them. You say, well, slavery started at a certain year, at a certain date, under certain conditions, and then they will say, and it ended at a certain time in a certain place. When that's not true at all. When you're talking about a system of racism, The system of racism is a form of slavery because slavery just means you are forced to do things unjustly that you shouldn't be doing. You're forced into a position that you shouldn't be in. That is slavery. That's the true definition of slavery. But when you are a master of words, you give the words definitions that will suit what you're doing. This is why it's important that there be a codified system, a compensatory code system, like I am trying to, and have been trying to, institute, where you study words in fine detail, all the words, and you pick out the ones that are logical, and you discard the ones that are not, and are You redefine them so that they reveal truth rather than falsehood.
0: I'd like to take a moment to give out the phone number in case anyone would like to call in and speak to Neely Fuller. The number to call in is... 347-202-0207. 347 202 0207 and again tonight our guest is Neely Fuller Jr. And so so therefore it is a state of mind then and one of the things that they do is program people to think and behave a certain way in order for them to conform to the system of white supremacy.
1: Absolutely. In order to control people without standing over everybody with a sword or a gun or some type of threatening physical weapon, you have to control people through their minds. It's the best and most efficient manner so that the people will be on automatic even as you sleep. Like you train an animal, an elephant, a dog, a tiger, to do your bidding even when you're nowhere around. An animal that is well-trained will sit by the door, or it will, if it's a dog, it will bark, I mean, at a certain time, if strangers come around, or an elephant that will carry people through the forest and whatnot, or go into a circus and do tricks, which is something that the races do with people. They take people and turn them into almost trained animals Absolutely. and have them use them for entertainment like they would animals in a three ring circus. And the people perform like animals with no thought except the thought that they have been trained to do and glory in it.
0: And some of the devices that they use today are the television programs, the uh, like you said, the entertainment media, are some of the forms that they do. Um, you know, it's amazing to me how much credence people give to. Uh, the talking heads on television. I hear people say all the time, well, I've seen that on television, i heard that on television. People don't do that on television, or they conform to the images or the lingo that's being projected to them through these media.
1: Sure. Now, over a period of time, everybody becomes locked into this system, both white people and non-white people, and it's like a fast-moving merry-go-round or something or a roller coaster uh, at a certain point. It's in operation, and even though people become aware that maybe something is incorrect about all this, nobody knows how to stop. Or rather, the people who know how to stop it, who know where the engine mechanism is, who know where the switches are, they just keep it running. But there are both white people and non-white people who say, stop, stop this. I think, let's get off. Let's stop this. This this should not be, but nobody knows how, except the people who know how, and apparently they choose to keep it running simply because they don't know what else to do that would be better, mm-hmm. and sometimes say so. They're afraid to try the system of justice because it's more difficult. It takes more commitment. You can't build your individual ego up on building a system of justice for the most part, particularly people who are, have big egos and they don't want to relinquish any part of what they already have because ultimately the system of racism is built on big egos. It's all about bravado. It's all about bragging on oneself.
0: Absolutely. Um, I like what you a couple of points that you made in your book regarding entertainment and listening to music. That I guess we should avoid listening to the noise. That music is those sounds that help people to help a person to think constructively. Noise is those sounds that hinders a person in thinking constructively.
1: Absolutely, that's the only definition. Of what we call music and noise. Both are sounds. See, basically we're talking about sound. S-O-U-N-D. There are two types of sound in the entire universe. Just two. Noise and music. Now, how do you tell the difference between one and the other? Because just like you just read, music causes a person who is listening to it listening to that sound, rather, you will know that that's music when it causes you to think constructively. Think about doing something constructively. Saying something constructively. Think about helping someone who needs help the most. Think about doing something that will be of some value that will help someone, yourself or others, in a constructive manner. Mm-hmm. That automatically is music regardless of what it sounds like, regardless of who's playing it. It's no such thing as black people's music, white people's music, or any people's music. It's all sound. And whatever you're thinking about at the time that you listen to it, you ask yourself, am I thinking about doing something constructive or am I thinking about doing something non-constructive? Because if you're thinking about doing something non-constructive, that automatically is noise. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what anybody else says, you know, people will call it music. They'll say, I just made some music. I just made a a CD. Mm -hmm. I just made a recording. And it's musical. But when you listen to it, if you're not inspired to do something constructive, what you're listening to is pure noise.
0: And so music relates to our thoughts, and, and th- those words that you listen to are very powerful, because like you said, you know, the words in music can produce negative thoughts in a person, and I, I'm one who firmly believes that music is very powerful, and if you listen to a lot of the popular tunes today that these rap artists or other groups put out, you know, the shake your booty, the sex you up kind of music, all of that has a... a the propensity to stir up those emotions in people and cause them to do things that um, you know that they either want to do subconsciously or would or would not do, and they so people today are so bombarded with the radio stations constantly playing those same those records over and over and over again, and you just keep hearing those messages over and over again, and it, it, they get sub uh, uh, planted in your subconscious, and you act on them at some point or
1: another. Well, we'll it's best not to put the label on it except the titles, just those three, Mm -hmm. the basic title, sound, S-O-U-N-D, and then draw a line, and then under that, number one, music, and number two, noise. Mm -hmm. Now, don't break it down into blues or pop Uh, or hip-hop, or so-called classics, whatever that means. What is a classic? All right. Or? No matter what category it falls Yes, no matter all of these categories. All these categories are really artificial, regardless of what you call them. Rap, Mm -hmm. hip-hop, blues, pop, country, western, country and western, etc., 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 There are some categories, folk, music, you know, folk, what folk? All people are folk, (laughs) all right?
0: Code lesson number one learned.
1: (laughs) See, so, so these are just artificial categories for what? Sound, two types of sound, music and noise. And the only way you can test any of it without any labels at all is to listen and then see what you think about. When you listen, what do you think about doing? What are you inspired to do? There's a movie called Shawshank Redemption, Mm -hmm. a movie which I say is one of the best prison movies ever made, if not the best, because it has a lot of lessons. Mm -hmm. See, that's why I say that. Um, Movies or stories or any any book or anything that you're looking at, looking out of a window, what lessons can you learn? Okay, So... In the movie Shawshank Redemption, there's a scene where the prisoners are taking a break in the prison yard and the speakers suddenly have sounds coming from them that are different from the sounds they usually hear, which is some type of orders from some of the guards or the warden. But this time, someone had put a record on. And there were two ladies singing in what to the prisoners was a foreign language. But the background music, the background instruments, and the voices of the ladies, particularly the voices of the ladies, even though they couldn't understand the language at all, made them give rapt attention, everybody stop what they were doing and listen to what they were told were two Italian ladies singing a duet, Mm -hmm. but they were actually hardened criminals, supposedly, who were enraptured by the sound that was coming from those speakers. And one of the commentators said it made them feel human. It made them feel in touch with something. It made them feel that there was some meaning in life, even though did not they did not understand the words. But just the voices, the soaring voices, and just the sound itself somehow connected and put them on a wavelength of thought that they did not have previously if only for a few minutes if only for a few minutes mm-hmm. now i'd like to say something else about music and noise Please do. one person i think every person has maybe many or a few, favorite songs. And when they hear someone playing one of their favorite songs by one of their favorite musicians, they stop, or they want to stop, and pay attention. Mm -hmm. But that person will say, I love that music. I really love that record. I love to hear it. Every time I hear it, I have to almost stop what I'm doing and really pay attention. I want everybody to stop talking because I like to hear that particular song by that particular artist. Now, watch this. The person may play that record sometimes or that particular song by that particular artist one time, then maybe two times then maybe three times. But at a certain point, maybe at the eighth time, what was called by that particular person, music, is slowly becoming noise. Even though it's the same record, the same artist, the same sound, So what is evolving here? What is evolving is not the record, not the artist, not the sound. It's still the same. What's evolving is the state of mind of the person listening. Because that person at some point will say, well, that's enough of that. Turn it off.
0: And I was just writing some notes as you were speaking on that, and I wrote that it is mood-altering. And when you were saying, well, what has evolved after that person has listened to it so many times, is that whatever that emotional need was at the time that they heard it, the need was met. So they, they no longer needed to keep being stimulated
1: by that music. Absolutely. Like the person who was just dying to get some ice cream. I'd love to have some ice cream. It's hot outside, it's scorching and whatnot, and I'd like to have an ice cream soda. I'd just give anything for an ice cream soda right now. So then that person gets an ice cream soda. And then someone says, oh, you enjoy that? And they say, oh, yes, that was great. That was good. That really cooled me off, and it really tastes great. Wonderful. Wonderful. You say, would you like another one? Oh, yes, I'd like another one. Then the person gets another one, and then another one. But at some point, just like you said, doesn't taste so good anymore. Mm -hmm. That's enough of that. I'm getting full.
0: (laughs) And that was one of my favorite movies also, by the way, The Shawshank Redemption. That was an excellent
1: movie. Lots of lessons in it. Almost in every scene, you can stop, you can freeze frame, and ask yourself, what is the lesson I need to learn in this particular scene? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And still, with the entertainment um, aspect of the nine um, elements that you laid out, you would also talk about: um, as long as racism exists, any deliberate gathering of more than two people should always be for the purpose of doing constructive labor and/or the purpose of exchanging constructive information. That most social gatherings of non-white people are more often than not an excuse to show off (laughs) gossip or engage in nitpicking or malicious plotting.
1: And the record shows, particularly in the northwestern hemisphere and probably in other areas of the world, that this is what happens. So what you want to do is construct interaction between people that is not restrictive, but is actually what a lot of people would use the word, and I don't particularly care for the word, liberating. In other words, you minimize conflict. And that is always much better than having conflict. Unnecessary conflict. So when three people, if two people are together, that's enough damage, particularly male and female. That's enough damage right there. But most certainly, if a third person shows up, It's supposed to be a scheduled meeting with an agenda. There should be no three particularly black people ever coming together for anything that doesn't have a schedule. And that schedule must be very precise in what they are there for, those three people. If they are having a conversation, that conversation should be scheduled either formally or informally, so that the result of everything that is said is going to be constructive. Otherwise, they should avoid each other's presence.
0: We have a caller on the line. Yes, ma'am. Would you state your name and where you're calling from, please? Caller from the 478 area code?
3: Just listening.
0: Oh, you're just listening? Do you have a question? Would you like to... Uh, address a question to Mr. Fuller no not at this time Okay, thank you so that's interesting then Um,
1: yes now all of this is a part of what I call a codified process see what the victims of racism have lacked all of these years is a code not a secret code I compare it somewhat to an electrical code, plumbing code, just a way of getting things done in the best possible manner. That is what has been lacking. There's been plenty of inspiration, but an in, with inspiration and enthusiasm without a plan, a blueprint that comes out of the inspiration. It means you'll wind up at square one with nothing but the inspiration. And this is is what has been happening. Black people are some of the most enthusiastic people, some of the most animated people in the world. We're very hyper. We get a lot of enthusiasm. But we have left out the planning part. The enthusiasm is supposed to generate plans. And plans are nothing but codes. Codes of what? Codes of... Do's and don'ts. Everything is a matter of thought, speech, and action. Things that you say, things that you don't say. In every area of activity, every minute of every day, things that you say, that all should be codified. Things that you don't say, that should be codified. So you don't even have to think about it. You just do it, because it works. That's why you do it. Everything that goes into a compensatory code should be something that works in the best possible manner. Otherwise, it shouldn't be in there in the first place. So certain things that you say, certain things you don't say. Certain things that you do, certain things that you don't do. For instance, you don't call anybody a name anytime, even when you're angry, except the name that the person wants to be called, whether the person is white or non-white, never. Never, under any circumstance, regardless of the circumstance, call a person by the name or title that the person says that he or she does not want to be called. You always ask the person, What do you want me to call you? What title? What name? And even if the name or title changes every half day, every 15 minutes, you would just say, well, check with me in 15 minutes if they say that. And because every 15 minutes I like to change my name. So you say, okay. So if 15 minutes goes by and I call the person Charles, then after 15 minutes I'll just ask the person, is your name still Charles? And they might say, well, no, I think my name right now should be Martin so I call the person by Martin. Okay, Martin, for the next 15 minutes. Now, that's sort of a, you know, a trite, you might say, semi-silly, humorous illustration, but it makes the point. Always do that. Now, suppose the person decides to call you names that you haven't authorized. Doesn't matter. And that's any name. Because you are supposed to be a master of words. You don't let ma- words master you anytime, place, under any circumstance. You'll always set your mind to it, the master of the words that are going to be passed around. That way you don't get jerked around. See, when people get to the place where they can jerk you around with words, you lose control of everything mainly what you set out to do.
0: And and like you said, by some people being animated, they react to those words.
1: The white supremacists more than anybody understands that. Absolutely. They know exactly what buttons to push Absolutely. to see to it that Charles, the black guy down in the warehouse, gets fired today. They know exactly what to say to him to push his button. And has, to use the cliché, saying he goes off, and they knew he was going to go off. And now they fire him. Absolutely. Because they intended to fire him, but they saw to it that they did it in such a way that he could fire himself.
0: He gave them a reason.
1: Sure. Yeah. Because they are very scientific. See, it's not personal. It's business, as they say in the mafiosa. as they say in what they call organized crime. And the greatest organized criminal organization is the system of racism. So they use the same principles as any smoothly run criminal organization. And that is, it's not personal, it's business, as they say in the Godfather. not personal, it's business. It's the way we run things. It's the way we ensure that things are run smoothly. Once you start getting personal then the business starts falling apart. So you always have to stick to the organized criminal code.
0: In this section on education, you talk about teaching um, the younger people the truth about everything that we know about, the nine areas that you've outlined in the book. Education is, is very important, and I guess a lot of times we rely on the educational system to teach the kids you know, what they should know. But we know that the truth that they're getting is not the truth as it is in history, but it's the sanitized truth that certain people want them to believe so they can act and respond a certain way. Yes. And so it's our job to tell them the truth about justice and to correct any um yes education.
1: And you don't try to, you do it in a scientific way, meaning you don't go into a classroom telling the teacher how to teach because it's not going to work. So you do things that work. That's what codification is about. So you go in and you listen to what is said, but you look, you, you take the book that you are given, to read from and then you also take a book like the code book either mine or some other code book meaning a book that's to parallel and counter whatever is false in the other book and you don't challenge you have to be careful with the way you use words very important you ask questions Because in an educational setting, this is what you're supposed to do because you have been told to ask questions. So then you look at one book, then you look at the other. Like in the case of my book, you have it lying right next to any history book or sociology book that you're looking at or assigned to study and pass tests in. And then you look at pages in the compensatory code. And then you compare and seek the truth in an unbiased fashion. You're just searching for the truth. We have another and whichever call. book you have, whichever page you're on, and whatever statement you're looking at, you just measure it for truth. And if you have questions, ask the teacher.
0: And We have another caller on the line from
1: the city. we have a caller.
0: Area code. Caller, what's your name and where are you calling from?
2: Uh, Vanessa.
0: Hi, Vanessa. How are you tonight?
2: Good. How are you tonight? Excellent. Thank you for calling in. Okay. Hi, Mr. Fuller. How are you this summer, uh This evening.
1: I'm still learning.
2: Yes. So am I. Uh, I have your book, and I do have a question because I. I'm constantly thinking about these things now that I've received your code book, uh, i say about a couple of months ago. i I'm const- It's constantly on my mind. And that is, um, now, in order to dismantle the system of racism, right? I'm wondering, does that mean that we have to dismantle what racism created, like the infrastructure? Do we need to get out of this monetary system, get out of this political system, so on and so forth? Or should it be that our goal should be to keep the infrastructure, like keep certain structures in place, keep them intact, but change what change them to reflect justice? I don't know if I'm asking the right asking it correctly.
1: That's that, that's 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 a valid question. That's how all questions are really there's no such thing as a silly question because all questions have correct answers. Now, the answer to that question is. You keep it will work now since and you do what you can do at the time that you can do it. Uh, there is no need to change the monetary system because one thing we don't even understand how that works because it's it can be worked anyway as long as there is a monetary system in the system of racism. The races will control that system. What you do is control. How we use money when it comes into your possession for instance there is a so called holiday coming up a couple of them you just simply put away your credit cards put away your cash and look out the window at the festivities very simple
2: Excellent. If That's you a try idea. it for
1: a, if you try it for a little while, you will find that it works now it won't be painless because we're creatures of habit, but if you just try it a couple of seasons, you will find that it's easy to do well, about that third me, season
2: yeah lucky for me i've I was raised as a Jehovah witness, so I don't know if you know much about that but uh we, we couldn't celebrate the holidays. so
1: Yes. It's never because, been very hard. And for a, a very, logical, for a very logical reason. Yeah. And the logical reason would be what? For one thing, let's look at the term holiday. Holy day. That's what that means. And all days are holy because they are whole days. A day is a day. And if you're breathing, you're on a holiday. I mean, you're doing just fine because you can breathe in and breathe out. You can do that, and since you do not have control of that you can you can hold your breath, but not very long because that's the that's the process of breathing that you were given by whatever invented breathing. In fact, when we talk about black history, the only thing that I ever say about black history, uh, according to the code, is my ancestor invented breathing. That's the only thing I say. I don't mention the pyramids. I don't mention Timbuktu. I don't mention uh, Shaka this or anybody there, you know. No. You can wrap it up. See, codification is about coming right to the point and doing it in record time and moving on to the next best thing. And so, when we talk about black history, we don't need to have go on and on and on and on for a month about who did what. It's okay to do that, but not on prime time. But you can do something that will wrap it all up. Just simply say. Because basically you're talking about ancestors. And if you want to say that your ancestors did anything that was worthwhile, you can just simply say, my ancestor, and you'll be telling the truth, my ancestor invented breathing. End of story. You've said it all. It doesn't get any better than breathing. Nothing is superior to breathing. So if your ancestor invented breathing, there's nothing else to say about ancestors as far as accomplishment is concerned that will top that. There's a lot of things you can say, but there's nothing that you can say that will top that. Now, someone else might say, well, Yeah, that's also true of my ancestor. You never said that it wasn't. But you know for a fact that your ancestor invented breathing because you have the evidence. And that is what? You are breathing. So you know that you didn't do it. So your ancestor must have done it. Now, if someone asks you, well, what did your ancestor look like? Tell the truth. I have no idea. And furthermore, I don't care. Why? Because I don't have to.
2: Exactly. We don't have to worry about labeling them like, you know.
1: That's what I mean by being scientific.
2: Exactly.
1: See, that's what we are lacking. We talk and usually act based on emotions. Emotions serve a purpose, but they are unreliable without logic. Emotions are supposed to lead us to use logic. We have not collectively been doing it. Well, I don't think and why do I say this? Is because emotions change every two or three seconds. They're completely unreliable, unless they lead you to logic. That's why emotions were invented. It's like breathing was invented. It serves a certain purpose. Emotions was invented to lead a person to think logically. That's why we have minds to go along with our emotions. But the white supremacist has taught black people, you use your emotions. I'll do the thinking. Now, anything that you feel, just vent. Vent all you want to. You can scream or yell or you can laugh loud. You can do all of that. But when it comes to thinking, leave that to me. I'm the thinking department. I'll do all the thinking. But you can do the jumping up and down and turning flips and talk about how you feel.
0: And subsequently, we're not a people who analyze, like you said, we're we're more emotional
1: than... Because we were trained that way. But see, we can retrain ourselves simply by understanding what is going on. And it doesn't take a long time to do it all you got to do is just make a decision absolutely and, and you can do that instantly
0: mr fuller we have another caller on the line from the city. all right oh area code caller okay. came, where name you calling from please
1: mhm yes good day my name
3: is michael fisher how are you doing how are you thank you for calling in okay how are you mr fuller are you doing okay
1: still learning
3: thank you sir sir uh, i have uh, actually a series of questions but um let me uh, first start with the first one. Um, uh, you say that uh, we have is we have a system of white supremacy in place that is run by white supremacists. Um, but uh, you you have never told us um, who these white supremacists are. Have you personally uh, met a white supremacist uh, that you could name that uh, gave you
1: information information gave Cool. I, have, I have personally met possibly hundreds, maybe thousands, of white supremacist suspects. See, that's what I mean by exact codification. I cannot label any white person as being a white supremacist, simply because I have no way of proving it, because I would have to prove it by a white person if I did that. And I cannot rely on that.
3: So so no white person has ever told you, uh, I am a white supremacist and I am, uh, I have uh, helping to run this system of white supremacy. But uh, is that
1: correct? No, I've never met a white person that actually told me that I have met, uh, I have seen white people on television and read about them. In magazines and whatnot, but I've never met a white person who says I am really a white supremacist. I've never met um, one. Right. Let me follow this up with I another don't question. I
0: think any of them would be bold enough to admit that anyway publicly.
1: Yes,
3: well, well some me of me them. This. Some of
1: them. Yeah, go ahead.
3: Yeah, let me follow this up with another question. Early in the program, uh, you attributed uh, certain motivations to white supremacists. Uh, you said, well. uh, they do x, y and z i'm I'm not exactly sure what it was again i'd, I'd have to re, um, um, replay the program, but they do certain they do certain actions because they feel um for example, you said that they they wouldn't want to set up a system of justice because it is um, too too hard to uh, set up uh, to paraphrase you I'm not exactly sure what what it is that you said but how are you able to attribute motivations to white supremacists, when you have not been able to identify those persons but only suspected those persons. So how are you able to attribute um, motivations for their actions?
1: Based on evidence. There's a, uh, in other words, I go by there's a system in place and that is not mythical according to my own judgment. Now there are actually some people, white and non-white, who say the system doesn't exist. They say there is no such thing as racism. That people make it up. They walk around with that in their minds. But it really doesn't exist. But I'm saying it not only exists, it dominates everything if you are non-white. It dominates every move that you make. And But you can't point out the people because the chief weapon of a racist is deception. They are the masters of deceit. So you have no way, of telling a white person that that person is a racist and prove it, which proves that they are masters of deception. There's no one to go to. There's no one that you can go and find out anything from that you can prove what your suspicions are even. Yet you see all the manifestations going on around you all the time. In fact, many, many, many thousands of white people say racism does exist. But no one can ever find one, except maybe one or two in a station wagon, driving by in a parade with swastikas on it. And most people will crowd around and say, well, there they go. There are the white supremacists. I think it's five of them in that station wagon, so that's all of them. So now if we can just stay away from them, None of the rest of us in the world have anything to worry about when it comes to racism, but most logical people know that that can't be so
3: because uh, yes, they see the,
1: they see things like so-called sections of town that are called the black section of town everywhere, even in Africa you have Soweto, and uh, you know so you you have every kind of manifestations of racism that there is. Now, the races nowadays in the refinement stage of racism, the fourth stage, are now showcasing a lot of non-white people to give the illusion that racism no longer exists. But there are people in so-called Brazil, there are people all over the planet, there are people in France, there are people everywhere who have dark skin that says Well, there's some kind of magic going on. Now, I don't know what it is. People call it racism. But even if they want to call it by some other term, by some magical way, why is it that people that look like me, meaning a dark person, is always getting some kind of raw deal? But people say racism doesn't exist. But why is that so persistent? Why is it so? In order to accommodate that, because I've heard this quite often, I say, okay, I'll codify that. And this is a statement that I make. And that's the freeze frame thing, so there's no wiggle room. Either the white supremacists are to blame for the problems of black people or black people are inferior to white people, or both? That's what you call an ironclad codified statement. Somewhere in there, one of those one of those partial statements is true. Take it or leave it for the entire world, because that's who I'm speaking to. Now, one of those statements has got to be true. It's a, it's a one statement, but it's in three segments. Now, I'll repeat it. Either the white supremacists are to blame for the problems of black people. That's the first part of it. Or black people are inferior to white people, that's the second, or both. That's the third. Now, one part of that one statement has got to be true.
3: Yeah, um, that that that's logically correct. Um, I would agree with you, Mister Fuller. But uh, uh, in addition. Um, one would have to define race, and since one can't define race biologically, it has to be a system that's in place that assigns well, race. I, well,
1: to. I, I have come up with a definition for race. Race is a condition of the mind. In other words, there's no such thing as a race of people.
3: Exactly. Except,
1: so, except it's a political word. Exactly. Meaning, so, I'm it, going to mis meaning a person who is set out to mistreat someone. For his or her benefit, based on color, that's what makes a race. That's a decision that is made. It's not a biological thing. Uh, the biological manifestation is something that people use. They could have used people's ears. They could have used people's feet. Then it would have been something else. But they could have called that the foot race. I mean, you know. In fact, you do have a foot race, but it's not. It doesn't have anything to do with color, as such.
3: I completely agree with you in that. Now, I have another question about: we now have a new, non-white, a black president, Mr. Obama. Um, why do? You, what do you believe? Why Mr. Obama uh, was able to become president, and what do you believe? Why it is that so many, uh, so-called white people or white people, voted for Mr. Obama? Uh, what do you think the motivation behind that was? What you I, think
1: it's, I think it's one or two or both. Now, one, there are a sizable number of white people who are tired of this whole business about squabbling about what color somebody is. Mostly a number of younger, excuse me, younger white people, people classified as white. Now, there's another category, and that is the refined racist who says it's good for business. Good for the business of what? Of racism. That you put a lot of black people up front, and what better way to put a black person up front is the attempt was made by that category of people, first of all, with Mr. Powell, who didn't rise to the occasion for reasons which he best knows, in my opinion. And then now Mr. Obama. That A lot of white people say they want him out front. But out front means he's not going to dictate. He's not going to just sit up and write checks because he's not going to be allowed to do that based on logic. So why would white people who have malintentions... Want him to be up front. It's because in any organized, uh, that's the white people who are racist, that is. Now, racism works on the principle of organized crime. One thing that you do in modern organized crime is that you have what they call buffers. You have people to take the rap for things that you are going to do behind the scenes. And I think this is the master plan for the position that Mr. Obama is going to be in. And I think that every black person, every non-white person, and every correct-thinking white person should be aware of that plan, that a lot of very ugly things are going to happen on his watch that he has absolutely nothing to do with, but he's going to be the person standing there with the smoking gun because somebody's going to put it in his hands. That's an old trick that everybody should be aware of by now. But a lot of people are not. And a lot of black people, you can look for it, and I'm trying to head it off, and everybody who is listening to this should be trying to head it off, saying, don't rise to that bait, because the bait is for everybody, particularly millions of black people throughout the world, to get mad at Mr. Obama because they didn't get a check.
3: Um, so what what is it that you believe um, uh, is going to happen, and what is it that black people and non-white people can do to protect themselves to the greatest extent that they could possibly could?
1: We we have to codify in such a way that all of the things that we do are designed to tailor to the individual. To do the best that he or she can, wherever he or she happens to be, in the known universe, on any given day, as if Mr. Obama was never elected president. A lot of this surrounding Mr. Obama is to lull the dark-skinned people of the world to sleep, thinking that this is hallelujah time. And that all they have to do is just lie down and go to sleep. And when they wake up, all they have to do is march themselves to the mailbox. And there will be a fat check there with Mr. Obama's signature on it. And when they go to that mailbox and they do not see that check there. And when things seem to be getting worse and worse for them. While they stand there waiting on a messiah. They're going to get angry at Mr. Obama, which is exactly what a huge segment of the white supremacist culture have planned. That's exactly what they want to happen, while they enrich themselves behind the scenes. Mr. Fuller? Yes, ma'am.
2: Just to follow up on that. I think that, at least in my opinion, I think that it's not only going to be non-white people that they're trying to lull the sleep. I think that just from the reaction of a lot of these um, majority white countries, like, you know, for instance, in uh, the ones in Europe, their reaction to him getting the presidency seemed like they were breathing a sigh of relief, too. Now, I don't know whether it's for the same reason that um, the white supremacists in general are 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 allowing it to happen. But I think that it's also um, a way for, you know, this – I think I remember you mentioning once about a one-world government, how really what we're doing – what's happening is that we're living under a one-world government, but the white supremacists have not uh, convinced us all to do it yet in any any real fashion. So what they're doing is that they're slowly doing it by making – you know the European Union, the African Union, the uh, you know the American Union. They're, they're slowly trying to do this, and these so these are just labels. These are just labels. I understand that, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to make, in order, in other words, they don't want to have to get us with salt. They're trying to get us with honey. In other words, they want us to want to convince us that eventually we want a one-world government, and in that way they can centralize their whole entire system, so to speak. And my, my thinking is is that I think that that's where they're going with, uh, unfortunately going with uh, President-elect Obama's president, um, administration, is that they figure, oh, well, these people are not going to get the hint by having um, a white person in this, in this position, and he constantly keeps messing things up. We're just going to assume, you know, everyone's just going to go with the status quo. But if we put someone else who does not look like everybody else in there, and he messes up, and like you said, they'll probably stage some things to make it look like it's him that's messing up. Then eventually, everyone's gonna say, "Well, wait a second, this is not working either." You know, even I mean, which is kind of silly because there's only been one non-white person that's ever been president of the United States, or will be the president of the United States. So it doesn't make any sense. But that's exactly where I think they're heading to the point where everyone's gonna say, "Well, it didn't work with this kind of person. It didn't work with this kind of person." It looks like we might want to just make this, you know, just one government run. You know, all every mass, every landmass get run by, you know, a small committee of people, and then then they kind of got us. I don't know. Is that?
1: According I, don't know, I, to see, the, I see it going okay, anyway. Okay, all right. Let okay, we'll get the ducks in a row. According to the code, there's already one world government. It's called the system of white supremacy. So that takes care of that. Okay. That's not in the making that's already established otherwise we would be having this conversation okay now what is the move that that government see in other words when you start talking about race first thing you do is erase all the lines on the maps because they mean absolutely nothing because that's what the racists do they make maps they tell people that this is namibia that this is Botswana, that this is zimbabwe that this is Tunisia, that this is England, that this is Belgium. But that's for people who are just looking at pieces of paper, who they teach. But in the mind of a racist, there are no lines anywhere on a map. They just deal with people based on the color of the people. That's all they pay attention to. Maps don't mean anything to them. It is what is going on in their heads. That's why they go anywhere and do anything that they please. Maps are made for the victims to study and try to figure out who's who and what's what and what type of title they have and all of this. The racists just want to know one thing. Where are the people and what color are they? Because if they're dark-skinned, if they're people that I classify as non-white as a racist, I'm gonna boot them around. And that's how I do business. It's real simple. I don't make things complicated for myself. That's the way a racist talks and thinks. When they're among themselves.
0: And so that's on a global scale, it's not
1: just they always not only global but universal. Universally, yeah. Because they'll take it they'll take in Jupiter and, and Venus and Mars and everything else. In other words, Everybody who is non-white has a place. Like they'll tell black people, your place is Africa. Sometimes they'll even say, go back to Africa, as if that means anything. Because they run that too. Doesn't mean anything. They run everything. That's what white supremacy means. 24-7, everything, everywhere, everybody who is non-white. Now, they get in disputes, like any organized criminals do, among themselves, but they settle it among themselves. They kill each other. They kill each other sometimes on a wholesale basis, but not enough that it hurts the business of the system of white supremacy itself. It never touches the infrastructure. Because they always put the business ahead of everything, personalities, likes and dislikes, and all like that. That's why after the smoke clears, when they fight among themselves, they shake hands. They have no problem with that. Black people have a serious problem with that among themselves.
0: So, okay, going back to what you were saying about um, President-elect Obama... And while we're busy celebrating that we have this black man in this position now, and the powers that be have their own agenda behind the scenes, so when the people don't get those checks in the mail and they become disenfranchised, um, what is the plan then?
1: The plan is the same plan they had before, like Mr. Obama is not the president. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that plan should be, to the extent that we have one, which we don't. That's why I say we need a code. The code says you tighten your belt, and all or not, you learn everything of constructive value that you possibly can. Get rid of that contempt that we have for learning. Because the racists, when they found out that we wanted to learn back in the 1950s, and people in, in other areas of the world whose skin is just as dark as the people here, they know the value of learning. They have to pay to go to school, the little dirt road school. I mean, you know, the little dirt floor school that's eight miles away. They will walk to get there every day and think nothing of it, to try to learn something that they don't know, that they need to know, even though it's not very much being taught at a little run-down blackboard, if they have one at all, or just sitting under a tree. I mean, with the bugs and mosquitoes biting them. And they're trying to learn because they know the value of learning. Now, in the 1950s, when Thurgood Marshall in this area of the world was trying to get black people in a better position where they could learn more than they already knew, the white supremacists made a move. And that is, go into the schools and smoke marijuana, curse the teach out get in the fights all day, stand out in the hall, break the typewriters and the adding machines and the computers and laugh. In other words, have contempt for learning anything other than going out in the street and robbing somebody, particularly black males and a growing number of black females are being deliberately masculinized, and the black male is being deliberately feminized. The white supremacists love to do switches on people, where they switch roles, because then you've got maximum confusion. See, the way to dominate people, subject people, and keep them dominated, is to always stir up confusion. So when you start talking about the eighth area of activity, like sex, what better way to confuse sex than to have females start thinking that they are males and males start thinking that they are females and dressing uh, and acting accordingly. And you see that before your very eyes, particularly in the last 30 years. Absolutely. And they are pushing the metal to the floor on this one, because they know that sex is a very important part of people' behavior, the eighth area of activity. They know that. So if you really mess people up sexually, you got them forever, because they don't even know what they're about. They have no direction about anything, and so everything becomes meaningless. Mm-hmm.
0: So how do you reach those people on a grassroots level, though? To let them
1: know. Okay, grassroots is another one of those terms. Oh, okay.
0: okay. <laughs> I, I'm learning. The way that. you
1: reach the people is what you do is just talk one person to another. Like I said, any time any three black people, any three non-white people get together, they're supposed to be talking about something of constructive value. Otherwise, we are going to have to get used to a whole lot of silence. And they will hurt at first but it'll pay off in a very short period of time because people cannot stand to be isolated from other people. So we'll come up with constructive things to say. I do not visit people, and I advocate that nobody visiting is an old custom of ours to visit. But it breeds trouble Mm -hmm. under the system where we are. It breeds gossip. It breeds tearing people down. It breeds making comparisons. So if you're not in contact with people, except in a constructive manner, every contact that you make is constructive. You're going to have a constructive result. That is the mathematical logic. If I can't talk to you unless I'm talking about something constructive, I'm always going to have a constructive result, and I'll have that into infinity. We will never have a falling out because every time you talk to me and I talk to you, it will be about something constructive. The minute I have an inclination to start gossiping or what you call getting laid back, I'm supposed to cut off the conversation. Absolutely. Okay.
3: Um, Mr. Fuller, Can mm-hmm. may I ask another question? Mr. Fuller, um, you say that uh, powerful white people classify people into white people and non, non-white non people. How do white people know that they will remain classified as white by other more powerful white people? And that, isn't it possible that these uh, more powerful white people will reclassify white people as non-white at any time that they want to?
1: The white supremacists are always doing this. And if you heard the first part of this presentation, uh, I said that there are something like maybe 20 classifications now, maybe more. It started out with three. I only hold the three, and I don't even have the same three that they had in the beginning, which was white, black, and mulatto. I say white, non-white, and white supremacists. And white supremacists is a category, a political category, of the white species. Now, couldn't it,
3: wouldn't it be possible... Uh, again I'm speculating since I'm not a white supremacist, but wouldn't it be possible that powerful white um, very powerful white supremacists reclassify other powerful white all powerful white, white supremacists
1: su- okay in, to, answer uh, to in, it, to in answer to it in answer to that. that's already been codified in answer to that the answer is yes, and they do this all the time whenever it's to their convenience but you hope that's why it's important to have a compensatory counter-racist code, which means you don't deviate from the code. I don't deviate from it. Anywhere I go, I say there are three categories, white, non-white, and white supremacists. Now, someone else may stand up and say that's not true, and I simply say it is true from a victim's standpoint. And as a victim, I can look at it the way that I choose to. Because I'm a victim of the system of white supremacy, which is in place, and that is a bogus system that's in place. So that's what I mean by having your own code. Otherwise, you'll get jerked around forever by the new classifications.
3: Right. And our last question: um, Wouldn't that mean? Wouldn't that imply that there is an intra, an inherent contradiction in this system that would cause white supremacists to uh, get at each other's throat to the point where it implodes and Destroys the whole system, if not, and the planet with it. I mean, I if, don't if know white supremacists. If white supremacists are not sure whether other white supremacists can uh, can reclassify them as as non-white, then wouldn't that wouldn't it logically follow that there would be some kind of conflict continuously going on within the system at the at the top uh, ranks of the system, which uh, which uh, if not uh, uh, smoothed over with, uh, since they're violent people. Uh, okay,
1: okay. Uh, in, would, answer would, uh, question,
3: end in, in answer the to the
1: question. In answer to the question. In answer to the question. You don't worry about that. You, you stick with codification, counter-racist codification, because that will take you where you need to go. The white supremacists are always doing stuff, and they're not just doing stuff that they're doing now they got whole books of stuff that nobody even knows about because they always come up with something new. But it's all a part of the same objective. That's what you keep in mind. So they have all kinds of means of keeping their objective in mind. What the victims don't have is any kind of means of keeping focused on what our objective should be. And since our objective is to replace the system of racism With the system of justice, that's all you really need, regardless of what anybody says about anything. You always come to the table with just that, and you don't deviate not one inch from it. When you sit at the table and when you get up from the table, your objective was always the same, because the races are very skilled at pulling people in their conversation into their orbit and coming up with all kinds of things that deviate you from what you sat down to do in the first place. They are masters at that type of thing. So that you get up from the table not even knowing why you're sitting at the table. But you came with very clear objectives. But you left confused. And the ally of a racist is confusion in the minds of their victims. Once they have you confused by whatever means you're through booking.
3: Okay. Thank you very much, Mr. Full. Yes, sir. And thank, and
0: thank you for calling in. Um, you've outlined some really basic things um, that I'd like to touch on before the program ends, and we're going to continue going. I don't know what's going to happen after the program ends in a couple of minutes. But before I do that, I'd like you to give out information for anyone who's interested in getting a copy and the, and the workbook of uh Yes, you
1: can get a te- textbook for victims of racism. Uh you can uh call me at 202 484 5461. That's 202 484 5461. I'll repeat it again. 202 202- Four eight four five four six one Now sometimes you'll get me, and sometimes you won't, but most of the times you will, because I, like most people, have to go places and do things, and I'm not here, and I always like to talk directly to the person who is requesting a book, so to give everybody a chance to. Maybe have grabbed a pencil. It's 202-484-5461. Call me anytime you think you can get me at your convenience. At your convenience. That's a part of the code too. You do this at your convenience.
0: Absolutely, and thank you for that information. But I think essentially one of the things that I've taken away from everything that's been said here tonight was basically we have to get out of the habits that we've developed as a result of being programmed for so long. Um, the young lady had mentioned earlier about the holidays and, 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 and the significance of it today. You know, and it's designed to get us to spend in excess, you know, spend money that pretty much we don't have. Because it's amazing how much money people spend on their children buying them gifts that for this one, day, this one holiday that lasts one day, and then, you know, two or three days later, they're broke. So one of the things that you outline in um, the section, again, on entertainment is that we have to spend less money um, pre- preparing, comparing clothing, trickings, and other material possessions. And these are some basic things that we can do.
1: Stop all forms of showing out. Stop it immediately. These are things we can do, and we can do them just by saying, hey, I'm not doing this anymore. As of this minute, I'm not doing it anymore. That's over. And you would be surprised. At how little your existence will change.
0: Absolutely, and how much more money you'll have in your pocket. And,
1: and yes. In other words, it will not have a, a an ill effect on you. People always think, well, if I do that, that's just too painful. If I go through this withdrawal, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it, it's really not painful at all. Once you do it a couple of times, you'll find out how easy it is. I mean, right. nobody nobody really cares.
0: And that's a lot of pressure. That's just
1: something that you have been taught that right. people care about.
0: Absolutely, and to conform to society's dictates, you know, because this is what everybody else is doing. Well,
1: when you say society, you're talking about the white supremacist plan.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And one of the things you and I talked about on the other day on the phone at length, you had given that analogy of the uh, you know, wanting people to keep jumping around, and he wanted to keep hearing the noise. And I immediately related that to the way people act today in church, you know, in church as an institution.
1: Sure. Sure.
0: It's amazing how we're still carrying on that tradition here in the 21st century. And people people don't realize it. They don't realize, um, you know, the root of all that behavior and all that acting out.
1: Well, when a fish is born in water, the fish is not really aware of the water. It's only when the fish is out of the water that the fish is aware that the fish was in water in the first place. So if you're born in prison, you're not aware of anything outside because there is no outside if you've never been outside. And the system of racism is all engrossing. The only thing that extends beyond the walls of it is our minds. But our minds are us outside the walls, and then deteriorate the walls in the process.
2: Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Fuller, I have a question, my last question to you, and then I'll I'll get off the phone if you don't mind. No Uh, problem, no problem. Uh, I remember you mentioning. I mean, this is something very minor, you had mentioned that we have to learn how to uh, eat correctly. And I was sitting here thinking about what you said, that you have to question everything. So one of the things that... I was just thinking about as we were talking was that now do we really need to eat three three meals a day?
1: Absolutely not. To, do we
2: need to have snacks? So these Absolutely all not. That, this is, definitely th- that was snacks.
1: invented by somebody who sold food.
2: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So the so the thing is, is in that fact, they to would. To in fact,
1: they're practice. trying to get now where they say eat all day, which is why we're so yeah. obese now. <laughs>
0: Right, yes, and then exactly. they, had, they came out with, the FDA came out with that pyramid. You have to eat this amount of this category.
1: Oh, yes, oh, yes. Uh, and, you know, problem. naturally if I'm manufacturing food and whatnot, in particular if I'm making a bunch of artificial stuff, which is what a lot of it is, if I'm making food out of plastic, I want to keep that moving. I don't want that stacked up in my warehouse. So how do I keep it moving? I tell you, hey, you know, come and get some of this. Doesn't that taste good? Now that calls for another one, right? What about another one? Take another potato chip. Once you start eating one potato chip, you know that, that you can't eat one potato chip. That's unheard of. Mm-hmm. And so it, there are ingredients in the potato chip to keep you wanting one more potato chip. And the next thing you know, you've got bags all over the floor.
0: Right. And our bodies wasn't designed to process and metabolize half the poison.
1: Absolutely. It's an addiction, just like a drug. And they know that.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, what do you mean by eat correctly? Do you have you found out a formula that works for you?
1: No, that's why I didn't (laughs) put it in the book. If you notice, I didn't list any foods because the racists they would know about that. And if black people started eating nothing but broccoli, then they know what to do with broccoli. That's what you mean by being a master of the situation. They'll say, oh, all the black people are eating broccoli now. Okay, I'll fix them. Now the broccoli will be loaded with E. coli. And everybody will be getting sick. And they'll say, well, it's broccoli. Why am I getting sick? Because it's not just broccoli. They've got germs in it now. So you can't specify any particular foods.
0: Right. And they you have know, cloned meats on the market now also.
1: They have all kinds and of injected I even, yeah, stuff. I mean, right. they're they doing your, stuff body, all the body, time.
0: Our body has a propensity to heal itself anyway. And,
1: and anything that they find is poison and whatnot or something is incorrect with it, they ship it right to the Cameroons or someplace like that in Africa and all the little children die. That's why I say the system of racism is just rotten to the core. Mm. And don't associate it. This is very important. Don't associate white supremacy or racism with Americanism. Don't ever do that. It's not the same thing at all. Don't associate it with America, with Africa, or with Asia. Don't associate it with anything except just those words. White supremacy is racism. Racism is white supremacy. It has nothing to do with the United States. It has nothing to do with Americanism. It has nothing to do with left-wing or right-wing or middle-of-the-road or conservatism. Call it what it is, because all these other terms, the white supremacists, and I've told people this for years, they will trick you into saying that America is racist. That's a trick. A racist is a racist. A racist does not belong to a nation. A racist is not a member of any nation and doesn't care anything about any nation except the system of white supremacy. That's the only nation they care about. And that's the name of it, the system of white supremacy, loosely called the white nation. That's the only nation they care anything about. But they will say if a black person is saying something about racism they'll say "Oh, are you saying that Americans practice racism and the average black person will rise to that bait that's why I say words are very important very important but you should immediately correct them say I didn't mention anything about America I said white supremacy and I stick with it now what are you saying sir Or, what are you saying, Mm ma'am? Absolutely. Why are you giving me words when I've already given you the correct words? I don't need any substitute words. I made it very clear what I meant. That's what I mean by codification. It's exact. Racism is an exact science, and counter racism, counter racist codification, is supposed to be an exact science if it's going to be successful.
0: And um, you also talked about the labor uh, industry also. You said that every person in the known universe is employed. All persons are either employed in the production of justice or they are employed in the maintenance expansion and or refinement of non-justice. And then you outlined some things that we need to try to do to get things done.
1: Sure. Yes, and that's everything or anything in the code book that applies to a person wherever he or she happens to be. That's why I call it the United Independent Compensatory Code because every person's circumstances are not the same every minute of the day. Uh, as I speak here on the phone, my circumstances are not exactly the same as somebody in a tin shack in, in uh, Botswana or out in the middle of the desert in the Sahara, or somewhere in the uh, hills of Brazil, you know, where a person is fighting mosquitoes. I mean, so you tailor whatever you find in the code to your circumstances so that you get the best result for your circumstances in everything that you think, say, and do. That's what codification is about. And if it's not in the book, like most things will not be, then you codify it based on logic, because everything that you do while you're on this planet or any other planet is supposed to be based on logic. And when you do something based on logic and get the correct result, that is a part of the counter-racist code automatically.
0: And um, some of the analytical things that we can do, and it's still basic and fundamental, is to concentrate on what we know best, choose a situation that needs improvement, Get all the facts, interpret the facts, think of the possible improvements, and choosing a better way and convincing others that it is an improvement.
1: Yes, and you do this whenever you're having a conversation with anybody. Okay. Stay away from random conversation. In fact, black people call it that. Oh, you're talking random, as far back as I can remember. You know, but we love it because we've been taught to love it. And we resigned ourselves to it because we figured, well, there's no point in talking about anything that makes sense because it's not going to help us. So we might as well just stand around and talk trash all day. And we got in the habit of it, and we got to the place where we glorify it. We need to stop it. I mean, immediately, like yesterday.
0: Because it's very nonproductive.
1: It's very nonproductive, and it doesn't solve our problems. I mean, we wind up just getting miserable and then crying about the misery.
2: So, so, Mr. Fuller? Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Um, I I just had a a final question, and I I said I was going to get off the phone. No problem. But I'll get get off the phone after this one. No problem. Uh, once, Once we've codified pretty much everything, and we've gotten to the point where we've changed our speech, we've changed our behavior to the point where they can't confuse us anymore with words, which is their main source of... How they deceive us. Then it goes to direct violence. The question is: is that where do we go from there, or or is that sort of like our goal—is to get them to force them to do direct violence?
1: Yes. Yes, and once they do, they have a choice. And the first talk that I made was at American University—I mean, correction, University of Maryland, 1969—and that was mostly a white audience. And I said, now, since it seems like. A lot of white people do not simply want to get along with black people and uh, they have total contempt for black people and think that black people are just in the way. I said, why not? Just kill us all and just have the whole universe to yourself. And the audience, mostly the people who were sitting down front, they smirked at my suggestion because And I interpreted that smirk as meaning, we know we can do that. If we wanted to do that, you wouldn't even be here. But we don't want to do that. We like it the way it is. We like for this stuff to go on and on and on. We enjoy it. And then I understood what really racism is really all about. Because they could eliminate us. So why haven't they? It can't be for two logical reasons. They're afraid of whatever put us in the universe, because they sure don't fear us. We don't have the muscle. Or they just enjoy it the way that it is, and it could be a combination of both.
2: I agree with you. I think it is a combination of both, and I and I do think that uh, mostly they're doing it, because I don't think, I well, 99% of the white people, in my opinion, they, they don't, understand that maybe what brought us here in the first place could come back to haunt them on this. Well, let's put it this way. Decide to do that, but I think that the enjoyment part is definitely the reason why it's continuing, and what we've got to do is get rid of that enjoyment.
1: Yes, that's it. And when they run out of words, then they're going to have to make a decision. Either kill us or do justice, because that's the only thing we'll settle for. And we just say that. Like I said, in 1969, that's all you have to do. You don't have to fear doing that. You just do it, and then see what happens. Now, they will threaten to kill us all, and then you simply say, do it. Because there's a saying the old folks used to say about different situations. They'll say, well, I don't know if you do that. I don't know what will happen, but I do believe something bad will happen to you. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, I don't know what them?
1: it is, but I think something bad will happen to you. Now, what they meant by that is, is there's some things that when you overreach, the people that you're overreaching don't have to do anything. All they have to do is just stand back and watch exactly. and see what happens. And but I if believe. They,
0: if they killed us all, who would, who would they have to manipulate our There
1: people? you go. They, for one thing, they enjoy it the way that it is, and they say so. And then the other, I think they really fear whatever put everything in place. Now, some people call it Jehovah. Some people call it God, Allah, the Great Spirit. But they do know that everything that they are looking at in this great big universe, they didn't put it there. And I think ultimately is that that is what they fear. Because when you start talking about taking something out of the universe deliberately and maliciously, that you didn't put there, you just might run into trouble. Case in well, what point. Go ahead.
3: Well, if they start, they can't what, stop. What
1: if they not start? The code says you defend yourself as best you can, but no, you no, don't no, worry. No, what, no,
3: what, no what, I'm, what I said is if they start killing
1: everybody, they will I'm not be able
3: to question. stop. I'm answering the question.
1: I'm answering the question. That is already codified. And the codification says, this is why I said in 1969, I said, go to it. And I will defend myself as best I can. But if I wind up dead, so what? No, no, no. See, because, I'm saying, wait a minute, this is very important, I'm unless I misunderstand what you're saying. I'm saying, yeah. if they announce that they're going to kill all of the black people, we should in one voice say, help yourself, and then defend ourselves as best we can and then see what happens. Because if we are not here, we don't have to worry about it anymore. But I've, and I'm going to tell you what, this is very important that you brought this up because now you're getting to the core of what we're here for in the first place. Because the supposition, like Martin Luther King said, you know, either we are supposed to be trying to produce justice regardless of what anybody says, or what the threats are, or we are not. Now, either we are or we aren't. Now, if we are afraid to take that kind of stand, then we should just shut up about everything and go along with everything that happens and continue to do that forever. Otherwise, we shouldn't attempt to do anything about racism at all if we are going to worry about them exterminating us. That should be the least of our worries. Our biggest worry should be that they do what they keep doing all the time anyway, and that's kill a few of us and leave the rest of us in fear. That's yeah, the trick. And,
3: and that, and What I'm saying is that if they start killing us, eventually they're going to have to figure out who the other... If the black people are gone, who are going to be the black people? That's basically what I'm saying. Don't worry and about it. See,
1: the very fact that you start thinking along those lines mean and means almost that you're getting ready to sit down. So See, I'm what you do... It's, it's no, but I'm saying... I'm
3: saying
1: but, what I'm saying is you don't even think about the next step. When you head toward justice, you don't think about the step that your opponent is going to take and what kind of machinations they're going to come up with as such. You just keep heading toward your goal. And you say, now you can do whatever you want to. I'm, I see the goal, and I'm going to head toward the goal. And say, well, now something terrible is going to happen to you if you keep heading toward this goal. And you say, hey, watch me. And, and once you say watch me, you just keep going, regardless of what happens. Regardless of what happens. Otherwise, you might as well not even try it at all. Because regardless of whether you use uh, the compensatory code or Martin Luther King's uh, prescription or Gandhi's prescription or anybody's prescription, you're going to wind up doing the same thing anyway because either they are going to eliminate you or they are not. See, I mean, once you think it through, it might take, you know, you might might have to sit down and think about it. But when you think it through, it's going to be the same result anyway. Either they are going to go out of business or they are not. Because you are trying to put them out of business. Now, if you start hedging on that, then you have failed anyway. And you might as well just go along with whatever they say. Just say, well, racism will last forever. And I'm going along with it forever. Because that's the easiest thing to do.
0: Mr. Fuller? Yes, ma'am. I really appreciate you spending time with us this evening. And I'd like to ask you one last question before we end the show, if you don't mind.
1: Go right ahead.
0: Um, I want to talk a little bit about the black m- male and female relationships. Um, the Obam- The Obamas have been held up and epitomized as a perfect black family. But we all know that's not the case in a lot of our neighborhoods. Why do you think that is? Why do you think?
1: Not the case in any neighborhood.
0: Wow. Well, but for us, for the black neighborhoods. not. The,
1: it's not the case in the case of them. <laughs>
0: True that, as my nephew would say. But um, why do you think that today the black male and female have such a difficult time in relationships?
1: Because that's the eighth area of activity. You have to completely contaminate that eighth area if you're going to be in control solidly. The racists know this, I mean, so they have seen to it. That's one of the first things they did, was see to it that that was all messed up. When they encountered the first black male and the first black female, they knew they had to mess that up big time. Otherwise, they wouldn't have any control. They would lose control over everything else that they did. I mean, even their, you know, whatever uh, time and energy arrangement they had under economics, whatever labor system they would come up with, entertainment, religion, they knew that if they didn't do something to confuse the interaction between black males and black females... And mess it up completely. They knew that they would lose control in all of the other areas. So that's one of the main areas that they got control of. They always aimed for that. And so they, even today, the more, in, like in the 1960s, the more black males and females were getting together and trying to make some sense out of their messed up situation, the racists immediately made a move to mess it up even more because they knew they had to do that. They had to do that because once you mess up the relationship between male and female in any setting and you are the master of that mess you got just the mess that you want and you got control of everything from then on. So Codification is about straightening that out, right there with them looking at it. Because codification is about doing everything with them looking at you. But see, it's done in such a way that there ain't nothing they can do about it. That's how you know it's code.
0: So what can we do about it? What can we do to restore the black family?
1: Well, the first thing you do is you've got to be, from the very first meeting, you have to know everything that there is to know in conversation. It's about 200 questions. Some people have probably already heard me say that. A minimum. We usually are ready to hit the bedroom after about 15 questions. All right. It should be a minimum of around 75 to 200 uh, so we have to
0: know everything there is to know
3: about each other?
1: Everything that there is so that there will never be another question that's not answered. I mean, after that, after this, all of the sessions of questions and answers, I mean, ten years later, you can never come up with a new question because the question's already been answered. The question was asked before you ever got to, you know, got the, uh, the boat in the water, so to speak. You know, the, 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 the car on the road. Mm-hmm. All of the questions, are, you know, there's nothing that you don't know that's worth knowing. And that's both parties. And both parties have to agree to that as equals. Because slaves are equals. There's no such thing as a slave talking down to another slave. That that arrangement that black males came up with about, you know, I'm the head of my household and all like that, that's impossible. The head of the black household is white. <laughs> Everywhere you see black males and black females, I mean, under a roof, the head of them and that roof is white. So there's no point in pretending. And black males have been getting away with that nonsense and that lie, because that is a lie. Why? Because he's dependent on someone outside of his household. So it ain't really his. Because he is not really his. He is owned. So whatever he calls his is not his, including his spouse. She belongs to the system of white supremacy, just like he does. Prisoners of war, both of them. They don't tell the warden what to do, but the warden tells both of them what to do. So now who's boss? He can't have a job. He comes in and is talking about my house and my check and my job. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have a house. He doesn't have a check. That all belongs to his owner, the white supremacists. And he needs to tell her that and tell himself that more than he tells anybody. And do it openly because it's the truth. Now, that alone will help black males and females get get along very well. See, in other words, I'm not the boss of any black female on the planet and never will be as long as I'm subject to white supremacy. And I'm not supposed to be anyway, because we're supposed to be equal partners who have agreed to share whatever we can share that is worthy of sharing while we're chained together in the slave ship. Because that's the situation as it really is. Slaves chained together in the bottom of the ship. There's nobody who's boss. The boss is up there on the deck making noise over your head. You don't get fed unless he opens the hatch. And that's exactly the way to look at it.
0: Well, you don't think that's stigmatizing ourselves, though? Kind
1: of well, hard. let's look at that. Let's examine it, see, because I say, it, hey, don't follow fuller. Just mm-hmm. follow the logic. Is that situation the way that it is or isn't it? That's the logic. Am I dependent on the white supremacists for a roof over my head, for food on the table, for the table that the food is on? I'm either dependent on them or I'm not, either directly or indirectly. The neighborhood that I'm in, they tell me where I can go. I don't just go anywhere. They go anywhere they want to. Under the system of racism, white people go where they please. Black people go where they are sent. White people don't have to ask permission for black people to do anything. But black people have to ask white people for permission to do anything that they are going to do. Please give me a loan. Please let me live in this neighborhood. Please give me an education. Please do this and please do that. And then, at the end of the day, I go back and tell the black female... That I'm a man, I'm nowhere close. Mm-hmm.
0: So when we practice the codification and think that we've uh, mastered it and apply it to our lives, how do we? How and when do we get out out from under?
1: You are evolving as we speak right now. Once you start doing just saying just the things that I'm saying, because mm-hmm. it's one thing that the races are enemies of, and that's the truth. Because mm-hmm. they deal in falsehood. Once they know that you understand what's going on and say so, they begin to back off.
0: Because you and I had talked when we talked about thinking outside the box.
1: Yes. See, all you have to do is just tell the truth. See, they deal in falsehood. That's the main thing. They'll deceive us. And as long as they have you believe in something that's not so, they got you. Mm -hmm. As long as they look at me and I'm walking around on the job talking about I'm a man, they wink at each other. And Say we got him forever because he doesn't even know what situation he's in
2: or you're
0: he is now. he
1: is completely uninformed, he is completely stupid, yeah, and that's you're where both. we and that's exactly where we want him. but if I come up to them and say no, if they tell me hey right. you you're you're a real man, and I say like I have said, no, I'm a boy wishes that he was a man and I'm trying to work in that direction all the time now that is when they begin to fear you as long as you're walking around with your shirt off and got your chest stuck out hiding behind dark shades they know they got you because they know you're phony they know you're eligible for a pair of handcuffs and that's all because that's what you know, you see us on television, across the hood, dark shades, bulging muscles, gang tattoos, but we're spread out across the hood. That's proof that you are not the end- all and be-all, because see, if you were really a man, you wouldn't be across that hood. That's number one. That don't happen. That does not happen. Period. That's a dead giveaway. Because you have succumbed to the man. There's one man in this house. The house is the world. Now, when I tell black males that, it hurts their feelings. But see, good medicine always does. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So I'll give you the last words. Talk to the young people out there. What would you say to the young men and women
1: out there? I'll say what the code says. You tell young people the same thing you tell old people. You tell them the truth. But you tell them in such a way, just like you tell old people, that they understand what you're saying. All it is is understanding. Mm -hmm. I think there's a biblical saying, out of all all thy getting, get understanding. (coughs) It has nothing to do with age. It just has to do with understanding. You can understand things at any age. Maybe. Depends on how it's explained.
0: I was just going to say it has to be given to them in a, a receivable form.
1: Yes, like, just like someone 90 years old. Mm-hmm. You give it to them in a receivable form, whether they're 5 years old or 90. You have to give it to them in a way that they can comprehend what you're saying and use it. Pass the test. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you so much for your time, Mr. Fuller.
1: All right. Thank you, you know for your than time. <laughs> thank you for our time.
0: Most definitely. Yes, ma'am. You have a blessed evening.
1: All right. Good thank night.
0: Thank you, callers. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Good night. well we have been streaming off the air for about a half an hour and i want to thank the guests that joined me in the chat room i had a quite a few guests in the chat room tonight i'd like to take a moment to acknowledge their presence and to thank them for uh hanging in there with me i have a couple that's still hanging in there even after we've um officially went off uh, about a half hour ago um sorry you didn't get a chance to ask any questions, and I'm looking forward to having him back on the show again in the very near future. This is Shirley, and thank you so much for tuning in to Far Rock Live. Have a good weekend.